Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. As a very small child, my mum tells me that I, I often would declare I'm going to be a missionary in Africa, which I now, looking back, find amazing because I don't remember that far back. I only remember mainly my teen years and what I wanted for me. So my dream for my life was I was going to go and study law. I loved God, but I wanted a nice big house and I wanted a nice car and nice clothes. And I liked everything just, just organized and just so. If you want to work with kids... Don't want it organized and just so, because it's the opposite of that. But um, I had this aspiration to go and study law and earn lots of money and have a really comfortable, wonderful life. And Jesus had other plans. So I found myself out in Romania. Now, I'd gone on a missions trip, ironically working with orphans. At that point, I'm just going to be honest with you, I went because I loved traveling. I love different cultures. I love different foods. Like, I love all that side of it. And so I went on this missions trip with my local church, really just to explore. Not the right motives for going on the missions trip, just so you all know. But that's where I was at. I was 18 years old at the time. And it was on this missions trip that all of a sudden, I felt the voice of the Lord speak to my heart. And that had never happened up until that moment. Uh, I'd been brought up in church my whole life. I had incredible Christian parents. Was saved at the age of nine and filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 14 years old but I'd never heard the voice of God speak to my heart so clearly and so directly. And he spoke to my heart about running a children's home. This was not on the agenda. So I knew without a shadow of a doubt, this has to be God because it is not me. And um, sure enough, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Now the thought of doing law, I apologize if you're involved in law, but to me that just bores me now. But my babies. What you just saw on the screen, they bring me alive. Like, I come alive when I'm out there with them. They're my, my, my children. And God knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes. So I remember coming home from this mission trip, telling everybody what God had said. I'm going to go home in a children's home, you know. And, and then the questions came, well, where? I don't know, but he said a children's home. Why well, is it in England? Is it Timbuktu? You know, where is it? So well, I don't know, but God said... And a week passed by, and then a month passed by, and then a year passed by. And all the time, well-meaning friends would say, well, did God say? Are you sure it was God, or did you kind of just go off on a tangent, you know? Did you have some bad cheese the night before or something? And then a whole decade went past. And through that decade, the enemy would whisper, well, did God say? You know, the enemy's not changed his tactics. The enemy came to Eve right back at creation and said, did God say? He's not changed his tactics today. When God gives you a promise, you better bet your bottom dollar. The enemy will come, and he will come, and he'll say, did God say? But when God gives you a promise, hold on to it. Hold on to that promise. You see, 13 years passed in total between God giving me the promise and the children's home opening on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th. I just gave my age away there for anyone who sat doing the maths. She was 18. Um, But God gave me a promise, and it took 13 years for that promise to unfold. And in that 13 years, I was so frustrated. You know, I'm the kind of person, tomorrow's too late, let's get going now. You know, we just, let's do it now. We might be dead tomorrow. Let's go for it, you know. And um, I've always kind of been that way. And so 13 years of waiting was just for me frustrating at the time. But I looked at the Bible, and I was in good company. 
You see Joseph 17 when God gives him dreams. And he has dreams of greatness, to be great for God. And God gives him this dream. And where does that dream take him? It lands him in a pit. And then it lands him in prison. I bet it didn't feel much like a dream at the time. Abraham waits 25 years for the promise of his child. He's promised a child and he's so excited, him and his wife. But year after year, after decade after decade, is passing by. Where's this promise? And so many times we want to help God, you know, in our, in our love or in our enthusiasm. I don't know what it is, but we try and help God out. I mean, how foolish. You know, I remember during those years, I would go and work with other missionaries all over the world. And a certain door opened for me in South America. I remember at the time thinking, they offered me a job to work with street kids. And I remember thinking, well, that's similar to the plan God told me about. Like, you know, maybe I could manipulate it into that. You know, and I learned Spanish at school, so maybe that's a sign. And like, we choose all these crazy, crazy things to help God out along the way. Where actually, if we would just stop, if we would just trust him and trust the promise that he has laid on our hearts, he will bring it to pass. And instead of giving birth to Ishmael's, we'll give birth to Isaac's. Moses waited 40 years. David, King David, he waited 15 years. He was anointed. Now, I can imagine, we all read the stories in the Bible, and because we know the ending, we kind of read them in a certain way. You know, but just imagine for a moment, you've just been anointed king. You know, your, your big brothers are bigger than you and butcher than you and, you know, and I bet David was like, I'm God's chosen. You might be bigger and better than me, but I'm God's chosen. And what happens the next day after being anointed as king is the red carpet laid out for him. Is the golden throne awaiting him when he wakes up for breakfast? No, he's back out in the field, back with the sheep. But you see, the situation was with David, if he couldn't be trusted to tend sheep, how could he be trusted to tend a nation? And he waits 15 years before he becomes king of Judah. He then waits another seven years before he becomes king of Israel. He waits 22 years for God to work on him and mold him in such a way that he was capable to, to run the promise God had over his life. Jesus waits. Jesus waits 30 years. My goodness, if he have to wait and study... And how much more so do we? And so many times we're so focused. Well, God said this. You know, God's given me this promise. Wonderful. Hold fast to it. Write it down. Make it clear within your heart and hold fast to it. But don't help God out because you'll make a mess. And sometimes it's in that waiting. It's in that preparation period. And that's the first point this morning, preparation. It's in that preparation we can become frustrated and just want to get going, you know. I don't want to read a scripture to you. It's just one verse from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 49 and verse 2. It says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. You know, so many times we've got the promise of God and we're excited and we want to run out and do it. And so we're here, there and everywhere. But actually, if we would just wait in that quiver. You see, the quiver is the bag that the archer has and all the arrows sit in that quiver. It sits right on his shoulder. And at the appointed time, the archer will lean into that quiver and take out the arrow. Just in the same way, if we would just remain close to Christ. You know, in that 13 years, God changed me completely. I was already filled with the Holy Spirit, and 
I guess I kind of thought I'd ticked all the boxes there was to be ticked. I'd got saved. I was baptized. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've ticked the boxes. I'm just waiting to go, you know? Come on, Lord, use me now. And I remember in that 13 years being so frustrated, just wanting to get going. But it was in that time that God began to change me. You see, we, were, we sang a song earlier about you have won me. And the reality is Christ won us 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross and paid for our salvation. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's won your heart this morning. I remember in 2005 spending three months in Mozambique and he wooed me. You see, I thought I loved God, but I had this skewed vision of who he was. I think I saw him more of a master, that I was his servant. And sure enough, he is my master and I am his servant. But I had this skewed view of God. But in Mozambique, he just wooed me. He wooed my heart. And when he did that, when I fell in love with Jesus, that's the key. When you fall in love with him, you don't just attend church on a Sunday and... You know, you don't just read your Bible kind of blasé because it's the right thing to do. But actually, you just fall in love with him and who he is. Everything begins to change. And my life completely changed in 2005. He changed who I am. He won my heart in a way I can't even begin to tell you this morning. And my life's never been the same since. And I think in that moment, what he did is he stripped every nerve away from my life. You see, I'm not, I'm not the right person for this. I'm not. There's better people. There's always better people out there, more equipped than you, more capable than you, more educated than you, have a better accent than you. I get mocked for my Yorkshire accent everywhere, particularly in my own church. And uh, we're in the middle of England now, and they speak really nice, just proper, you know. I remember going to, um, where was I? I was in America at the time, and this receptionist came up to me, and she said, oh, are you from Australia or something? I was like, no, I'm from England. And she, was, she almost questioned that I, whether I was right. You know, like, are you sure? <laughs> You're British? What accent is that? You know, and there's always people better than you out there, more capable. But if you will just have a heart that says, yes, God. You know, and sometimes that call won't be pretty. Jonah's call was not pretty. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. It was too big of a task, too big of a problem. It was a huge nation and a very sinful place. I don't want to go. Send someone else was his attitude. And there probably was better people out there. But God has a unique ability of putting you in a no way out zone. And he'll do that in whatever way he needs to. Maybe it needs putting you in the fish of a belly of a fish. Thankfully for me, there was no fish and no belly. Well, there's a belly, but not a fish. Um, but for me, he just wooed my heart. And when he did that, he took every no from me, every excuse that I would normally have as to why I couldn't possibly do this, God. It all began to strip away. You see, in the light of him, nothing else compares. In the light of him, what else matters? Why, why would we want to hold back in the light of him, in the light of eternity and what eternity means? Why do we say no to him? And if we would just have a heart that submits and surrenders and says, yes, Lord, that's all he's looking for. He's not looking for the most intelligent person in the room. He's not looking for the most gifted speaker in the room. You just want a heart that's surrendered to him, a heart that loves him. And my period of preparation was so critical for what we're now doing. So critical. So I just want to encourage you, if you've got a promise, hold fast to that promise, but remain in the quiver. Hold fast to the promise, but remain in the quiver. Because at the appointed time, if you remain close to him, he will pull you out. And you will be sharper to pierce the darkness than if you tried to do it in your own way.
Number two provision. In John 6, we read the beautiful scripture about the boy with the loaves and fishes. A little boy who just comes to hear a great speaker and his mum had sent him off with a fish butter. And um, we read that scripture, and again, because we know the ending, we know, you know, Jesus feeds the multitudes, over 5,000 eat out of this little, little boy's fish butty. And it's a beautiful little story. But the reality is it was a real moment in time. And for those disciples, that was a real moment. Verse 9 of John 6 says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go against so many? Sometimes we'll look at our own lives and we think we feel like that fish butty. We feel, we look at the need out there and then we look at our little lives and our little fish butties and we're just not capable for the job. I remember back in 2006 it was, and it was before One by One was One by One. We were working alongside Nathan Morris at the time and um, we just had a heart for the poor. You see, for me, you can't say to the hungry man on the street, God loves you, God bless you, and walk on by. You know, show him God loves him. Feed his belly, but also feed his soul. We also meet people who do the other. They'll do the feeding, but then they won't share the gospel. Well, you know, they'll just go to hell with a full belly. What is the point? Um, And so for us, it's very much too. You know, many times Jesus would move with compassion. And every time that happened, miracles began to flow. And people's lives were changed. And if we would be moved with compassion in the same way, miracles will flow from our lives. And we'll see multitudes come to him. And um, in 2006, there was me and one other girl, Amanda Mara. Me and one other girl from Wath. And uh, we just... We just had a heart for the poor, but we didn't have anything. So we raised a pitiful amount of money to go and do a very small feeding program. And we had this beautiful Sierra Leone mama uh, cook a box of rice for us. Um, I always joke, when Matthew started dating me, I think he thought, I've done all right here. You see, my mum is an amazing baker. My mum makes everything from fresh she bakes cakes she bakes bread she used to make crisps when I was a little girl who makes crisps but my mum would bake everything from scratch and then my eldest sister is the same way she's always in the kitchen always baking cakes and I think when Matt started dating me he thought dropped on and then uh, and then we got married <laughs> beans on toast darling and um I can't cook I would burn water I cannot cook uh, and so I had a beautiful Sierra Leone mama cook me this box of rice. And I'll never forget it. It was in a little blue box. And um, it was enough to feed 50. Well, when one of the mamas cook for you, you bet your bottom dollar, it's not going to feed 49 and it's not going to feed 51. They are on it. If she's going to feed 50, it's going to feed 50. So we arrived at the venue and it was um, a derelict bush shelter. We were out in Sierra Leone and the war in Sierra Leone had been so brutal. They would say to little kids, does daddy wear long sleeves or short sleeves? And judging by how the child answered, they would cut the man's hand off either here or here. And they'd do it all in front of the child. So for the rest of that child's life, they thought it was their fault why daddy had no arm. And the war was so brutal. And in Sierra Leone, there is no government aid system. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. And if you are an amputee, you can't work, you don't eat. And so we're in this derelict bush shelter where all these amputee victims and their families are now living. Where better to take the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ? 
And so we quickly learn, <laughs> preach the gospel first, then feed them. If you do it the other way around, you've lost the crowd. And uh, we were learning as we were going along. And so we went, and when we arrived, I remember thinking, oh, this is not good, because there was about 100 people there. And the only food we had was to feed 50 now, understand my heart, I just didn't want to represent the gospel badly. You see, I'd drawn a crowd saying, come and we'll feed you and tell you about Jesus. But then if we only told them about Jesus and didn't feed them, like, I just thought it would reflect Jesus badly. And I was, I was horrified by that. So I remember we preached the gospel, many got saved, praise God. But then when it came to serving the rice, I remember just be mortified in my heart and I'd just stir the rice and pray, stir the rice and pray. Well, it wasn't until we got right till the very end. I can sometimes be a little bit slow on an uptake. But it wasn't until we got right till the very end. And this person came out with a washing bowl. And they said, there's a family in here who were just too ill. I think they had malaria or something. Just too ill to come out today. But with your leftovers, can we take it to this family? So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So we scraped the leftovers into this washing bowl. And it's only at this moment when I'm thinking wait a minute, the little blue box we started with to feed 50 has just fed 100, and now with the leftovers, it's in a washing bowl that's bigger than the little blue box we started with. I remember looking at the situation thinking, well, that was lucky. And so the next day, we arrive at a venue, and again, this same mama's cooked in the same little blue box to feed 50 people. And we arrive at the venue, and there's just me and this other girl which now looking back maybe wasn't the wisest thing, but it made sense at the time. So there's me and this one other girl completely on our own in the outbacks of beyond with food to feed 50 people. We arrive at the venue and I kid you not, there was over 200 people there. Now you would think because just yesterday God had multiplied the food, it wasn't 10 years ago, it was just yesterday, you would think on the basis of that I would walk in full of faith, full of passion thinking, this is awesome. You would be very wrong. I was horrified. The whole time we are sharing the gospel, I'm watching. And right here in this corner, there's a little fire door. The girl I was with, I was a lot smaller back then. The girl I was with was a bit bigger than I am. And I, I remember thinking, well, she might be able to look after herself. But I'm going to be eaten alive today. Like, I am meeting my savior today. This is bad. And this is while I'm preaching the gospel, just to reassure you picked a great speaker and um so preaching the gospel and what I'm really thinking all the time is there's the exit door chuck off the shoes just run girl run and so we start um, finished preaching and then we started to serve the food now our thing is if you're feeding the hungry don't give them a little starter you know don't give them an appetizer size really fill their belly so we wanted to do the Sunday lunch equivalent of a bowl of rice and um, so we, we were doing the bowls like this, and we started serving, and we had these um, ladies helping to dish out the food. And I remember one of them coming to me and saying, you're giving too big a size portion. You need to give a smaller portion because otherwise you've not got enough food to begin with, but you've got all these feed people to feed. You're giving too big a portion. And I remember thinking, well, just what if? Just what if? Didn't have a Thus saith the Lord, I will multiply the foodeth. There was nothing like that. It was just, what if? And so we said, no, we're going to carry on. We're going to give this size portion. We're really going to feed these people well today. And so she carried on. She carried on serving. And she kind of just raised her eyebrows. Is that, is that an African thing? Like in Kenya, they raise their eyebrows. They like communicate to me through their eyebrows. Do you guys do that? 
I get that kind of look a lot. And uh, she kind of just did that, one of those, and then walked off, carried on serving. She came back about a third time, and by this time, my, my little blue box, it wasn't still full. The rice had gone down. I got maybe this much left in the bottom of this little blue box, and all this side was still to eat. And I remember thinking, I've been really foolish. Why didn't I just listen to her? If I'd have just listened to her and given smaller portions to begin with, then yet yeah, not everyone would have eaten, but at least there'd have been more, <laughs> less people to hunt me down and kill me, you know? And I remember thinking, oh, if I'd have just done that. And for a second, I wavered. But thankfully, the girl who was with me, who you would never, ever see on one of these things, she's a quiet, behind-the-scenes kind of girl. And all she did that day was just nod. She didn't quote scripture at me. She didn't speak in tongues over me. She just nodded at me. And in that nod, she was saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, you know? If you die, we die together. <laughs> and I needed that. You know, when we're a church together, we're a body together. There's not one person out there. You see, for King's Cambridge to really go for it, it can't just be about Phil and Emma. You know, we're a body together. We do this. She remembered yesterday better than I did, clearly. I needed that. And so we kept going for it. Well, I remember scraping that bowl. Literally, there was not one grain of rice left in this little blue box. And there were three plates in front of me. And the same lady who had come up to me three times, this says, I remember just being relieved. I was so relieved that day. You know, God really has got our back. <laughs> he really does. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not equipped, but thankfully he is. And, you know, that really helped me. You see, in 2012, I'd had this vision for 13 years over my life, and it was exciting. It was wonderful. It was a dream sent by God, and it's wonderful. But then all of a sudden, architect to Bill drops on your lap. And suddenly, that voice that for a decade has been saying, did God say, is suddenly booming in your ear. You see, at that point, we'd saved up about £1,000, which sent like a million back then. It took years to save up that £1,000. We were so small. And that £1,000 was mainly by little faithful women coming and putting a fiver in your hand saying, bless you, darling, put that towards your children's work. And we'd saved up this £1,000, but we had a bill in front of us for about 150 grand. We actually ended up being even more than that in typical Kenyan style. But the initial bill was for about £150,000, and I got £1,000. But in that moment... I just took time to reflect on a little blue box. And that little blue box is what helped me when I got this bill of 150 grand that sent like 150 million at the time. I could look at that bill and think, well, just what if? Just maybe. And so God, on that, we stepped out. And sure enough, on the 12th of the 12th of the 12th, we opened the children's home with no money owing, not one penny owing on that building, and God provide every single cent of it. See, when God gives you a promise, he provides. He provides. You know, it's kind of a cheesy saying, but it's very true. God's will, God's bill. You know, it's very cheesy, but it's true. When it is a promise from God, you see, when it is an Isaac, and it's not an Ishmael, because you've been trying to help God out, when it is an Isaac, he'll provide everything. He'll make the way where it truly is impossible in front of you. So the first one is preparation. The second one is provision. The third one is protection. Now, in Acts 28, verses 1 to 10, we read about Paul. He's just gone through a shipwreck, and he finds himself on the island of Malta. I was going to say Patmos then, on Malta. And now, bear in mind, he'd just gone through a shipwreck. He's wet, he's cold. So he's putting logs on the fire, and what comes out of the fire but a snake? It comes and bites him. 
and the locals stand aghast. And the locals all think, well, the shipwreck didn't get him, so the snake has. He must be a real wrong one. He must be a bad one. And um, we can never base our identity on who the crowds think we are. If you base who you are on what people say you are, one minute they will love you. You will be on a pedestal. The next minute those same people will hate you and think you are a sinner. But if you will base your identity on Christ alone, then you can stand secure. His voice over every voice in the crowd. Let his whisper be what controls and dominates your thoughts, not the shouts of the crowd around you. And so Paul just shakes off that snake and he suffers no ill effects. And suddenly now this crowd that at one moment thought he must be a murderer or a really bad one, suddenly now they think he's a god. And, um, but when Christ is with you, he protects you. You're going to hear at 2 p.m. how my husband was given two to three hours left to live. As a wife, I wanna, if, if any of you in the room are one of the people who prayed for him, as a wife, I want to say thank you. See, Matt, Matt was 27 at the time, and our little boy was three. And I remember the doctor saying to me, well, his body's rejecting the medicine. He's probably got two hours left to live. You can't go back to Kenya. You've got a little, this is the doctor's words, you've got a little boy at home who calls you mummy. He's already lost his daddy. She was already speaking about Matt in the past tense. He's already lost his dad. You cannot go back to Kenya. That would be foolishness. And I understood the gravity of what she was saying. But I've also got 150 babies out there who call me mummy and call him daddy. How can we not go back? When we have a promise from God, it's not something we pick up and put down when we've had enough. It's not a side project. It's not a little hobby because, oh, it's nice to look after the little children in Africa. If that's what it is, then put it down and stop right now. But if it's a mandate from heaven, everything changes because nothing can stop that. And we've seen God protect us above and beyond so many times. Matt's malaria is one of many, and you're going to hear about that this afternoon. It's really going to bless you. But I remember sat in that room thinking, every promise, God, is just laying flat on the floor right now. See, we just accepted the position to go and be pastors of the church in Utoxeter. I can't do that without Matt. I can't run one by one without Matt. This was everything going through my head at the time. How do I raise my little boy without his daddy? How do I ring my mother-in-law and tell her? <laughs> you know, all these thoughts were going around my head. But when God's with you, he protects. When God's with you, it doesn't matter whether you're called to Cambridge or Afghanistan. If it's God's calling, you're in the right place and you're safe. I remember being out in Sierra Leone. All my stories seem to be Sierra Leone. I need to quit going there. Um, but I was out in Sierra Leone. We were doing a, a gospel campaign out there. And there were three cars, and the front car was Matt and Nathan, and I, I was in the back, the very last car. And the cars are making their way through. We're got, traveling from one town onto the next. And um, I didn't have a mobile phone back then. I, can't, I still can't imagine a day where we didn't have mobile phones. How did we exist? And um, there was no mobile phone, and the front cars had gone ahead. And our car, we're driving through this little narrow thing. We'd, been going, we'd left the city about an hour ago. We're driving through these little lanes, and all of a sudden, our car just stops. Well, call me naive, but I'm one of those people, life's an adventure. So our car's broken down. I don't know a thing about mechanics. So while they're looking after the car, I'll go and explore. And everything was wonderful. We're looking around. There's beautiful trees and all different kinds of animals, and everything's wonderful. And this is exciting. Until all of a sudden, afternoon goes to evening. 
And all of a sudden, it's getting dusky. And then suddenly, the dusk is becoming more dark. And it wasn't until our driver, who was Sierra Leone, when he got nervous, I got nervous. And he turns to me, and again, it was Amanda. He turned to us and he said, I think you need to get in the back of the car and just duck down. I'm thinking, where in the world am I? This is terrible. So we're in the back and we're ducking and we're doing everything. We know how. We'd prayed every powerful prayer we knew. We'd prayed in tongues. We were singing the old classic hymns. I'm thinking, well, if Paul sang hymns in, in you know, prison, then, you know, maybe. So I would pull it out, the old classics, the old Pentecostal songs, and, you know, belting them out in the back while we're ducked down. And our driver had looked, he'd opened the bonnet and he'd, he'd seen, if it was me, it's like one metal bit and then another metal bit. I'm useless. Thankfully, the driver knew more about cars than I do. And he'd looked in the back and he'd decided we needed this one certain wire that went from one electrical bit to another electrical bit. And this certain wire had, had burnt out or something and we needed this certain wire so that we could get back on the way. The problem was it was now dusk turning into evening. The city's an hour's drive away, so he could start walking back, but it would take him two to three hours to reach it, even that if he's running. And even then, by the time he reaches the city, the garage is going to be shut. We're stuck, completely stuck. Well, we're praying and singing our little hymns. And then all of a sudden, I remember seeing this guy on a bicycle come just pedaling up. Now, he got, imagine with me, you know the little girls' bicycles where they've got the little baskets and the pink ribbons dangling from it? His didn't have the pink ribbons dangling, but he had the little basket on the front of his bicycle. And firstly, he stopped, which was the first miracle. Um, but he got out and he said, well, what, what do you need? So our driver described this electrical wire that he needed. This man on his little bicycle with this little basket just so happened to have this exact electrical lead we needed. He just so happened to know how to fit it, and then he pedaled off into the sunset. I remember thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Going through my head was, if mobile phones existed right now, that would have been a real selfie moment that I missed out on. Now, I'm not saying he was an angel, but I am definitely not saying he was not an angel because he had the exact thing we needed, fitted it, and then just pedaled off into the sunset, quite literally. And we started the engine, and off we went. Unbelievable. And God so many times has protected us again and again and again. When God gives you a promise, if you are faithful to that promise, follow it through. Because he will provide for you, and he will protect you in a powerful way. The last point that I want to share on before I hand back to Matt is power. Power. Preparation. Provision. Protection, power. Jesus has spent years pouring into a few people, pouring his life into just a few people. He had masses with him all the time, but there were certain lives he poured into. But to those lives, he says in Acts 4, verse 1 to 8, it says, On one occasion, while they were, he was eating, this is Jesus, with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, of which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him. Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know about the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
if the very disciples of Jesus Christ needed to wait, they'd, ha- they'd gone through the best Bible school there was. Like they had Jesus himself opening up the scriptures to them. If they had to wait to be endured with power, how much more so do we? I am so incredibly thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know, there are so many times when I don't know how to pray anymore. I remember when Matt was ill. I prayed every powerful prayer I knew. And on day two, he's still dying. And I remember just at one bit sobbing my heart out before God, saying, can my tears be the prayers now? But praying in the tongues over him, there's so much power when we do that. If, you, if you're in a situation today and you don't even know how to pray about it anymore, it's just one of those impossible moments where you think, God, if you do not intervene, this is it. It's over. Let me encourage you to pray in tongues. If you're not yet filled with the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you. Today's the day. When we're, we're praying for people later, uh, later on, but if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, come and get filled. When the Holy Spirit fills your life, he will radically, radically empower you to go and do his business. He doesn't fill you with the Holy Spirit to tick a box of, well, I'm doing well in my Christian journey. I've been attending church every week and I'm reading my Bible every day. And, and now I'm speaking in tongues, you know, tick, tick, tick. I'm ready for heaven. I have my golden ticket and I'm ready. It's not about any of that nonsense. But when he fills us with, Holy, with his Holy Spirit, we are empowered to be his witnesses. You're not empowered just to earn a stripe on your shoulder. You're empowered to be a witness. That carries so much power. And when we go out, not just full of our own belief or own whatever, but when we go out full of the Holy Spirit, everything begins to transform before our eyes. I remember... Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, God is smart. God is really smart. And the Holy Spirit will often prepare the way. And um, we'd been out in Kenya just just eight weeks ago. And um, every year I do a new intake of children. That's my favorite day of the year. I can only get to do it once a year, but it's my favorite day. You see, for all the 150 kids we've got, there's several others aligning the fence, just waiting. I remember on this last one, we, we took all the kids to the zoo it was crazy. There's like 10 of us, 150 of them, all excited because we're going to the zoo. For many of them, it was their very first time even out of the village, let alone going to a city and seeing an airport. And they found the airport exciting. I live my life in airports, so it wasn't so exciting. But seeing them excited made me excited. And taking them to the zoo, it was an incredible, wonderful day, full of laughter, full of joy. It was amazing. Only to come back to the site and see all these faces at the fence. You see, it's those faces at the fence that keep me awake at night. It's the faces just waiting to have their bellies filled still. The faces waiting to still be loved, to belong, to have an education, to have a place called home. And it's those faces at the fence that push me on continually to do more. And um, we took 21 new kids in. 21 faces at the fence got to come in in September. And that, for me, is a dream. And um, I remember meeting one such girl... In fact, is that Davina? This little girl. And um, we took her in and they, they told us about her life. We have two sets of children. We have some that are completely orphaned. And they come and they live with us permanently. But we also have a lot of children who have parents still, but their parents have nothing. They have no way of providing food. Education is literally a dream away. You see, education in Kenya is, itself is free, primary education. But to be able to go to the school, the parents have to save up for a uniform. They have to buy the textbooks. They have to buy the pens, all the stationery. And for a family struggling for the next meal, 
saving enough for a uniform is just ridiculous. And so there's many kids in our village who don't have any primary education. And so we also take in children who do have parents, but they need food and they need education. We provide everything, all medical costs we cover, their clothes we cover. But then at the end of the day, they go back to their families. Our heart, God's agenda is family. And our heart is where possible to keep families together. If there is no family to keep together, they come into our family. And so we have the two sets of children at King's. And um, little Esther Devine was one of the such children who belonged to our home-based project, so the kids who live at home but come in in the day. And just the day before, all week I'd been saying, I want to go and meet the witch doctor. You see, for years I've been dealing with the, should we call it the byproduct of the witch doctor? For years I've been dealing with this and seeing little children demon-possessed. If that doesn't mess you up, nothing will. To see a little innocent child not in control of their own body, that makes me mad. And so for years I've been dealing with this, dealing with the byproduct. And only this year I thought, let's go and deal with the witch doctor. You see, the greatest weapon of warfare is not to go in with guns blazing, with the, you know, the saith the Lord. I've found every time the greatest weapon of warfare is love every time. And so my plan and my intention was to just go and love on the witch doctor. I had no idea what reception we'd get. He's a witch doctor. He doesn't like who we are and what we stand for. We're taking away his patience and he doesn't like it. And so I had to pre-warned the team who I only took a very small group with me, but I pre-warned them. I'd never done this before. I don't know what to expect. You need to know, I might be taking my own life into my hands. This is your choice. You can stay behind. If you come with me, your life is in your own hands. And obviously Jesus. Um, But, you know, this was serious stuff. I didn't know if we'd get met with clubs and sticks or stones. I had no idea. But just the day before, we'd done an intake of children. No one, when I was taking in Esther, told me she was the witch doctor's daughter. It wouldn't have made a difference if they had. It wouldn't have wanted me to take her in more. And it wouldn't want me to take her in any less. It wouldn't have made a difference. But nobody told me. And so we took, took her in. We accepted her on the day. It's now my last day of the trip. The whole week's been so busy. We've had thing after thing. My whole agenda that first week was to go meet the witch doctor. It's now my last day and I've still not met him. And I remember we got three hours before leaving for the airport. And I remember saying to the team, listen, I am not doing anything. You guys can do what you want, but I am not doing anything. I am meeting the witch doctor today. And um, it was the day after the children's intake. And so we, we went round to this house and I got my pastor to, to lead me to where he lives. Now, literally, if you went to his house in the morning, he would have a courtroom full of people literally waiting to see the doctor. It's literally like that. And so um, we went round to his house, and as soon as we walked on his grounds, I saw this little girl playing. I'm thinking, I recognize her. Didn't we just take her in yesterday and accept her on our education program? And my pastor just looked and smiled. I was like, well, that was lucky. I'm seeing a pattern throughout my life. And um, we walked up to his house, and instead of being met with sticks and stones, we were met with a smile. You see, just yesterday, we changed his daughter's life. Just yesterday, we'd accepted his daughter when no one else would. And suddenly, instead of having a very cold and harsh reception, we had a welcome reception. Welcome into my house. Come and tell me what it is you want to tell me because I've seen that you love. I've seen that you want to love people and change their lives. It's not just words, but I'm seeing it. So come into my house and tell me. I had the joy that day of leading him in the prayer. 
seeing him. Repentance Christ. You know, and being able to share with him that, do you know what? I've never been a witch doctor. You know, I, I actually lived a relatively good life by comparison. Um, but I was a sinner who needed, needed saving by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, that same power has the power to save you. There's no realm. There's not a, a, we sometimes measure sin. You know, God doesn't. Sin is sin. And his blood covers everything. And leading him in repentance that day was such a joy. But guess what? The Holy Spirit had gone out before us. Just the day before, we took his daughter and it changed everything. The Holy Spirit is smart. Is smart. The Holy Spirit even is smart. And when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, get out and be his witnesses. Don't sit back waiting for the better qualified person to come along. If you love Jesus and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's all you need right there. To get out of these walls and go and make, a, make disciples for Christ. So if you've got a vision from God, if you've got a plan from God, let me encourage you. There will be a season of preparation. Hold fast. Remain in that quiver. Don't go and figure it out your way. If you've got a vision and you're stepping out within that, he will provide every time, no matter what it is or how impossible it seems to the natural eye, he will provide. He will protect. I don't know whether you're called here or Afghanistan, but he will protect you. He will guide you. He will keep you. And number four, wait until you are endued with power. Once you have that power, go out and be his witnesses. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.